Yo, what's good, America? It's your boy, Hafiz. Chris, the star of the show. And we are here, and we are the roommates, and we are the roommates podcast live from our studio, live from our studio. What's good, Chris? Man, I'm good. I'm, I'm high. I'm, I'm not high. I'm not high. I'm tired. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were high and tired. No. Okay, no. you're just tired. I'm just tired. All right, sounds good. And this week's episode of the podcast is brought, brought to you by none other than Audible. And as you guys know, starting in November, we're going to be going through Charlemagne's book, Black Privilege. Ooh. Yes, sir. So I think Tiffany started it already. Tiffany, I'm shame on you for starting it. Did you tell me she started the... We never said go. Oh, yeah. We never said go. And you definitely went without us. So we're well, at def- least she's proactive. Hey, she is proactive. And she at least signed up. Unlike most <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah. So Can't get too mad at her. <laughs> so like I said, guys, we have a free 30-day trial for you, included with a free book. All you got to do is sign up on audibletrial.com slash roommates. One more time, that is audibletrial.com slash roommates. And as we've always said, Social media is cool, yes. as Chris said, in the right space. Yes. TV is good at times, yes. Netflix and all that stuff, but we got to read. We got to educate ourselves, empower ourselves to educate ourselves for our future. Pick up a book. And pick up a book and listen to a book. Oh, or listen to it. <laughs> listen to it via Audible. So like I said, guys, make sure you sign up. We're going to be going through it in November. We need you guys to sign up one more time. That's audibletrial.com slash the roommates. That y'all, something wrong with y'all. Don't follow instructions. They literally don't follow instructions at all. It's, it's so sad. I don't know what we have to do. Do we have to? We have to send news of Chris to get you to get you guys going. What's, <laughs> What's going on? Niggas don't follow directions. Yeah, man, it's a uh, it's a bit sad. Ah, it's so it's it's discouraging. It is. <laughs> I can hear you. It is, but you know what? I wasn't gonna do that today. I'm not gonna let this happen. <laughs> I'm not gonna let this happen. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let the lack of engagement via our fans discourage me. But faces. But I said it. Oh, there we go. I say I'm gonna say it. And coming up pretty soon in November. We don't have a date yet, or we do Ish. have a date, but we're waiting, we're waiting to release it. <sighs> we have a live show coming up, another live show. Another one. Yes, another one. And Chris, you told me that a lot of people were mad at you for not being invited to the live show, right? Yes. People came for my head. Came for his head. So yes. hey, if you're listening right now, we're giving you an opportunity ahead of time to hear about the live show mm-hmm. and to be a part of it. We're letting you know we're going to be dropping that date sometimes next week, probably hopefully, Friday. Hopefully Friday. Hopefully Friday. So you guys better sign up. And if you didn't sign up, it's not our fault. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not taking responsibility because you decided not to be proactive and signing yourself up. No, I'm not doing that. Sign up. Yes. Maybe. Next Friday. Next That's Friday. Halloween weekend. Ooh, what are we going to do? Halloween weekend. That's not next Friday. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wait. Wait. Halloween? Halloween weekend. Definitely. The Halloween's oh, on the Tuesday. weekend. Oh, okay. The weekend. Okay. I get what you're trying to say. Last year, last year, I went to a mansion. Mansion party. A lot of older, bougie black people. Mm. Had a ball, though. You had a ball. You know Was it a ball? Kind of. <laughs> it was a costume party. And yeah. I showed up in, in my black suit as men in black. That's how you know creative. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, Your favorite color is black, too. That's kind of right. <laughs> I know, man. I know. Uh, That's kind of ironic. There was a lot of older women that should have been wearing stuff they, mm. they was wearing. I'm just like, okay. Like after three or four babies, you should retire that outfit. Drinks started getting in their system. I saw uh, a lot of things. that I feel like, this is my parents' age right now. Uh, so you, it's time for me to go. Oh, you know? <laughs> oh man. Let's just jump right yeah, into it. Gotta... Lonzo Ball. 
Ooh, Lonzo Ball. So as you guys know, the Roommates Podcast has been big fans of the Triple Bs. Big well, baller is the <laughs> of the big baller brand and Lonzo Ball with Star as a father, Lavar Ball. Yes, has been Lavar has been boosting up his son, talking about he's gonna be the best ever. And Lonzo had you gotta a, get context. He said he was in college. You already said he was better than Steph Curry. Okay, in college, he's in college, than Steph Curry. y'all say he was better than LeBron and better than LeBron. And he said he's gonna be Magic Johnson up in college. In college, in college. There you go. So. When this episode comes out, I think Lonzo would have played two games. But right now, when we're recording it, we're recording it Friday, October 20th. Lonzo played his first game. His debut game. Debut game against the Clippers. (laughs) And let me um, read the stat line. Go ahead and read the stat line. Lonzo had three points on one of six shooting, four assists, and nine rebounds with two turnovers. Mm. Jordan, tell, tell me, man. How'd you feel about Lonzo's performance? I think Skip Baker said it best. He said, opening nightmare. (laughs) I was like, like, man. Um, Honestly, I wasn't really too surprised by that. Just because of the person that was defending him. That's your guy from Houston, right? That is the former Houston Rocket, Patrick Beverly. Mm. That man has that dog in him. He does. And little, I don't want to call him this, but little boy. (laughs) (laughs) Versus Patrick Beverly, yeah. and whose father also has been talking ish yeah. to Patrick Beverly. So yeah. now you have a hyped up, aggressive Patrick Be- Beverly. Goodness gracious, bro. I just really wasn't, um, I wasn't surprised. Mm. And if you don't know, Patrick Be- Beverly is probably the best point guard defender in the NBA. Mm. He also from Shot Town, Chicago. Shot Town. And he wasn't, he wasn't drafted. Yeah. He went undrafted. So he had that chip on his shoulder. He, a, he has a huge chip on his shoulder. Mm. I think he also played in like Russia. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. And like Germany or mm. something like that before getting into the NBA. Dang. Before making the team onto the Rockets. Mm. Before winning a starting job with the Rockets. I mean, he was back there when the Rockets had Jeremy Lin. Had, I mean, who was that? Who's after Jeremy Lin? Don't matter. <laughs> Don't matter. Like uh, he was, he was, he was with the Rockets probably since 2013. Oh wow! Like yeah, so he's been there. And for he's a been basically working his way up through the Rockets, mm. and he really got his claim to fame. So Lonzo's basically everything Patrick Beverly was not. Correct. Like. Lonzo came from, you know, I'm not, I don't know Patrick Beverly's household. No, he did not have, he, listen, if he had a little brother, he did not have a Lamborghini. Okay. <laughs> like that. So, he did not grow up with money. No. So he didn't grow up with money. Correct. He didn't grow up as a star player. He didn't grow up as. I mean, he may have been starring in high school. Okay, maybe in high school. Maybe. But like I said, he was. He had to go overseas to play basketball. Yes. Not even D-League in America. Not even D-League. No. To, had to go overseas. Uh-huh. Lonzo is the number two draft pick. All this shine, all this glamour. Yep. Patrick Beverly crawled himself out of the muck and mire. Yep. And then he's going up against his privileged number two draft pick. Whose father has been talking noise. Talking noise about Patrick as well. Yes. Okay. So, what did you, what was your grade you gave Lonzo Ball? I know it was the first game. Gosh. Did you watch the game? I watched the game. Okay. What, what was your grade you gave him? Oh, man. As a team for yes. the Lakers, yes. Jesus Christ. As a team, yeah, they, I mean, they're like a D as a team. Yeah, Lakers are garbage. They're terrible. <laughs> they have no D offense. D as a team. Lonzo <laughs> wasn't, he wasn't, he was just, it was his first game. Yeah. He was nervous. Yeah. He was scared. He went up against the worst guy possible. Worst. He can go, he can go up against. Uh, so for that, I give him a C minus. I love it. That's, that's what I gave him. Gave him C minus. I gave him well. a C minus as well. Um, I mean, 
He the one thing he kept his composure. He didn't yeah. get frustrated. Yeah. Uh, like I said, these point guards are that is the most deepest position in yeah. the NBA, especially and in the West. Especially in the West. Yeah. And like that point guard is he prided himself on defense. He was saying it throughout the whole game. All NBA first team defense. Mm. I have the best defense when it comes to the point guard position. He, yeah. He prides himself. He wakes up on that. Um, the other point guards are not gonna play him like that. Yeah. They may well they may go after him because the dad talking all that noise and whatnot. Yeah. But um when he phase up like Russell Westbrook or uh Damian Little, Kyrie, they can give you fifty. Goodness gracious. Give you sixty. You know, they wow. give you them they give you buckets. But yeah. Patrick Bradley is not a I'm gonna give you buckets kind of guy. I am he is I'm gonna embarrass you and then talk about you and then laugh about you kind of mm. guy on D. Okay. He is ruthless. Yeah. Um so and for that. I give him a C minus. I mean, right. I think he'll be he'll be fine. It didn't look good. It wasn't a good opening night. It but was I mean, not. I think if we put it in the context of other, you know, superstars or stars coming out of the draft, yeah. their opening night, I'm sure a lot of people had similar yeah. um stat lines. Yeah. I think I heard like John Stockton, who was one of the best point guards to play this game, yeah. didn't even start out, yeah. out of college. So I heard that as well. All right. So I'm I'm gonna move it a little bit away from basketball because I want to be respectful of our female listeners because I just don't want to just make it about basketball. But they should be they should be adjacent. They should they should know everything. They should know everything. They should know, so so but here's what I, I, I mean, I, no, I'm t- we should talk about what we want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Because okay. they don't do what we ask them to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I respect it. I respect no, it. I respect it. So here's what I feel about. Um, Lonzo. Mm-hmm. Here's my biggest thing with Lonzo. Um, oh, hold on one second. I have to mute this as well. I don't know, who, who, I don't know where that right was now. coming from. Sorry. Um, here's my biggest thing with Lonzo. Lonzo's either going to be one of the greatest ever or uh. one of the greatest ever or he's going to be one of the biggest busts of all time. It's it's going to be either which or. One, which one are you leaning towards? I don't. I have no idea. I'm I'll be honest with you. I, I mean... He's not gonna be one of the greatest ever. Okay. So in my mind, I don't. Let me tell you why. Can I, let me tell you why? It's too much distraction. Please. Let me tell you why. Certain people mm-hmm. who are the greatest ever, mm-hmm. like the Joe Montanas, mm-hmm. like the Michael Jordans, yes. these excellent people came came with such high expectations. Everybody well, who. I don't know about Joe Montana. Michael Jordan, nobody. But Joe Montana was a golden child. Well, nobody saw Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player in the world. Well, not the he greatest. He was number two. Period. Yeah. Not, After Hakeem, the dream. I'm yeah. Not, not the greatest, but he was great. Like, like they knew he was great. They, yeah, but. Didn't he win a championship in the UNC? UCLA, sir. Michael I Jordan? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, uh. No, no they, they knew he was going to be great. Yeah, but I think the most. The, the, the biggest person that ever had pressure coming out of high school was LeBron James. And LeBron James. Sorry, that's, I meant that, to go LeBron that's, as well. That, that's like and that, and that, was my, that was my point, LeBron yeah. James as well. Yeah. When you come with that much pressure, everybody's coming at you with their absolute best. Correct. Because as an athlete, people can play four different ways. Mm-hmm. They can either be lazy. Okay. They can coast. Okay. They can go hard. Okay. Or they can play possessed. Okay. Those are the four different gears for an athlete. When you... Most people, people play either coasting or they're playing hard. But there's a few people that play possess. Like when Russell Westbrook is going to play Patrick Jesus Beverly, Christ. he's going to play possess. That is like mama mentality. Yes. Like, kill, like killer. Yes. When people were playing LeBron, when people were going up against Joe Montana, they played possessed. They wanted to break these people. When they went up against Michael, they wanted to break them and prove to them, you are not the greatest as everybody was saying you mm-hmm. were. But still... 
in spite of everybody giving it their 100%, they still excelled. And that's when you know that you're the greatest. When people are coming at your... You remember in high school... Excelled is relative, but we have to to talk about it. Here's what I'm saying. like You know, like in high school, there's a player who everybody knows he's the best. Mm -hmm. And coach is doing everything to stop it. Everyone is super hype. Everyone's juiced to stop this guy. But still, he dominates you. That's when you know he's great. Because you've literally given him 110% every second. And this dude is still whooping you. Mm -hmm. It's like fighting somebody and punching somebody with all your might in the face. And it barely even scratches them. That's when you know this guy is a real deal. Mm -hmm. So my thing with Lonzo, this is what I like about the pressure. I love the pressure. Because if Lonzo's truly going to be as great as his dad says he's going to be, if he can overcome this pressure right now, there is nothing. That can phase him in the future. Okay. But this mountain, like everyone said, is a high, very steep mountain. But if you can overcome this mountain right now, the way LeBron James did, the way Michael Jordan did, even though LeBron, I think LeBron James LeBron, did it. I, me, LeBron was, did it the he, best. He did the best. He overcame it. Mm-hmm. That's how you know he's true greatness. Yeah. Kobe Bryant the same way. I mean, I don't know if Kobe Bryant opened at night, but I'm sure it was under like 10 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember LeBron had like 20-something. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so that's my thing. And and so that's how I feel about um, Lonzo. LeBron can't ride out of high school. But um, I think I I get it. I get I get the I get the pressure. Um, if he can overcome it, um, that would be a big deal. Mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, it's, like, when will it stop, though? You know, when, because I think it's at a point in time where... Like LeBron, I think it will never stop. And I think every single year you have well, to continue think, to prove yourself. I think, I think it's, it's just different, kind of. Their situation is different. Okay. Because Lonzo came out, like, this is not Lonzo talking trash. It's this is dad. not Lonzo saying that I am the greatest. I'm going to come and destroy y'all. Look at me. Look at this. And, you know, his play at UCLA, I mean, wasn't the greatest college play ever. You mm-hmm. know, like... Dagum, what is that? Uh, I always forget. Jimmy Fredette had a sensational freaking college run. Who? Jimmy Fredette. You can look him up. Okay. Smack City from three. <laughs> great. Had a great college uh, uh, we, we, a year or two. Mm. Um, but, I mean, he he his play to me in college was better than Lonzo. Mm. You know? and But he didn't. He he's not even in the NBA anymore. Oh wow! But I think I think it's it's something about Lonzo and his dad and the baller brand, and mm. they're going to do this. They're going to take over that. Yeah, I'm gonna have all three sons on on the Lakers. They're going to run this. They're going to run that. Mm. We've never seen an outspoken dad like this before in our lives. Yeah. Thing difference between LeBron is because we're going to just use him. That's, okay. I mean, that's the best word we can use. Um, his plate. Was all was all his talk. He mm. wasn't really. I mean, he had the greatest tattoo, but yeah. I mean, that's on his back. He's not yeah. walking around saying, "I'm better than." But wasn't Michael ESPN Jordan. and everybody calling LeBron the chosen one? Oh, yeah. Similar. To, that's what I'm saying. Similar well, actually, to, yeah, the chosen one. Yeah, similar. Similar to Lonzo, even though it was his daddy, I feel like even though it was not the same, mm-hmm. but LeBron James, everybody else was calling him the greatest ever. Yeah. Because to me, LeVar is the only one calling Lonzo the greatest ever. Correct. But when LeBron came out, every single person was calling him the greatest yeah, person LeBron, ever. LeBron didn't, or people weren't saying, he wouldn't single out people. He wasn't, LeBron wasn't saying, I'm better than Kobe Bryant at age 18. Yeah. I'm, I'm better than Allen Iverson at age 18. I'm better than... But don't Tracy you think McGrady some people, in a, some of these writers were saying that about LeBron? Saying that he's probably better than Kobe? He's probably better but than... I mean, also LeBron came out in, what, 2005? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Social media wasn't Okay, so you're saying the social media added to it. it. So this concoction. Okay. Jesus Christ. Definitely added. Um, All right. But yeah, I I think I think LeBron LeBron got that 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 notion as the chosen one just because of his size, his strength, his speed, and his skills. Okay. No, like we have never seen that before. That's this is our first one Mm -hmm. of this specimen as a human who can move like that and, and dominate dominate in basketball. Playing your boy today. Oh yeah, I think. Uh, I think. Um, I think it's just. I think it's a little bit different. Okay. Uh, but I think I do think the pressure is the same. It's yeah. Just a different kind of pressure. Yeah. Like, um, uh, because Lonzo has to cast a check that his dad. Yep. Is you know putting on him, so mm-hmm. he has to he has to fulfill that that role. Okay. Um, whereas LeBron was, I mean, like, he was already getting paired to MJ, but. Yeah. It wasn't like he came out or his mom came yeah, out yeah, saying okay. that my son is better than everybody else in the league. Okay. You know. All so right. I think it's I think it's just a little bit different. All I'm right. leaning towards I don't want to see him I don't want to see him fail. Yeah. Definitely don't want to see him fail. I don't think he'd be the one of the greatest point guards in the world. Yeah. Um I think I think just because that point guard position is so freaking deep. Yeah, you yep. I just I don't know. I don't even know he'll be top ten in five years. Like I mm. don't know. Because yeah. that point guard position is is insane. Yeah. Um. Because Lonzo is not like a Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Even Russell that, Westbrook is the star of yeah. OKC. Yeah. No matter who's on this team, he is a star of OKC, yeah. and he can go give you 30, 10, and ten. Yeah. You know, Lonzo, he's a distributor. Yeah. So he has to have good players around him yeah. for him to be at to be at his best. Yeah. So if Lonzo is the face of the franchise and he's the main scorer, that team is going to struggle. Yeah. You know, he's not Kyrie. Yeah. Okay. He's like a Who's, who's a good pass in the league now? Nobody. Don't say he's like a buddy from Minnesota, um, the the guy from Europe, Wally. I can't. No, I was about to say Wally Zerbiak. <laughs> um, Rubio. Oh, they say he's like. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah. So he's just longer, yeah. taller. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. He's he's like a Rubio. I can All see right. that. If you don't know who Rubio is, that's kind of like a John Stockton, somebody that could just yeah. pass the ball and be a, a forward general. Cool. A, a poor man's Chris Paul. All right. So l- l- here's what we're going to go ahead and do. We're going to go ahead, take a quick commercial break. But we're, we're rooting for Lo- – um, I'm rooting for Lonzo. Chris is rooting for Lonzo. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I, I am. I am Hopefully. Lonzo. I just don't – I mean, I, the hype is just getting on my nerves. Like, okay. Got, I understand. I understand. Like, it, really it, is. it is what it want, is. I just want to watch basketball. I understand. I understand. But I want him to do good. All right. But daddy. Chill out. Chill out. All right. <laughs> I love it. So we're we're coming back with our guests. I'm really excited about this next conversation. I think it's going to be really, really, really good. We got our roommates, and we'll be back. Okay, we are back. We are, we are, we are back. And we're joined by a very, very special guest, somebody I'm really, really excited about bringing on the show. He's a really, really good guy, man. He has a really awesome podcast yes. in the Houston area. Make sure you go ahead and check it out. Welcome, my man, Luke. Thank you, sir. Yes. Happy, happy to be here. Yo, Luke, that was kind of weak. <laughs> you got to come. You got to come correct. That's, that's it for me. Uh, that's, 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 that's it for me. That's it. It's all good. All right, Luke, man, tell us about, um, who, let, let the people know who you are, your podcast, what you do, all that good stuff, man. Give a, people a little bit of intro, introduction. Yeah, man. So I uh, I work at a church here in town. I'm the curate at a church called Holy Family in East Downtown Houston. We just launched a few weeks back. And uh, I also own a podcast network of my own called okay. Mill You Media Group. We've got 
Uh, we've got six shows out now. We got two more launching in the next month, and mm. so um, one of those is specifically about Houston. It's called the H. People can check that out. Oh wow! Uh, it's a lot of fun. Just telling people what's great about this city. People who are great about this city. Wow. So yeah. And what made you want to get in the podcast world? You know, so I started working. I live out in Tomball, so I live a ways out, and I started working at a church in the Heights, mm-hmm. below where it used to be. And um, so driving in, I had this long commute all of a sudden every day, and I was I just started listening to podcasts. And uh, you know, I've been a musician for a long time, so I've got all kinds of gear, and I just thought, man, I could do that like that. I just, <laughs> it's so easy. You yeah. know, I may as well do it myself. And so. So I did. And I tell people all the time, like, I think everybody should have their own podcast because it's so much fun. Yeah. I just happen to not be satisfied. I mean, you guys are the same. You're starting a network. Like, I, I had to have a whole podcast network of my own. So yeah. I got a bunch of shows out there. So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it. Um, if you guys can't tell, Luke is indeed white. <laughs> and Luke, let me tell you how I knew you were white. Because I told you the show started at 8. And you got here at seven fifty. <laughs> I knew I like man, mostly people. People, you are so out control right now. people come at eight ten, eight fifteen. This man Luke came on time. Yeah, we no. appreciate that, yeah, man. No, no. I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate that. As you can tell, we started a little bit later, and my black behind showed up late, but I was asleep. Yeah, I didn't know. It's all right. I'm here. You're here. I came before eight too. You did indeed come. Actually, you guys came at the same exact time. Exactly. So I'm actually on time. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> but yeah, now we appreciate you, man. We really look forward to this conversation. Um, really look forward to talking about some of the things we've been, we've been ha- conversations we've been having. And I really want the listener to understand that in this conversation that we're going to be having right now, we are really trying to talk about things that most people are afraid of talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you usually hear what we're going to be talking about from either group A or group B. But I want to be able to bring both parties into the conversation. But I want people to also be open and responsible enough to listen. Not to just listen to a soundbite or a clip and come to a conclusion, but to listen to the whole conversation in its fruition to really understand the message we're trying to communicate. Because I don't want anyone's message lost or anyone's views misinterpreted. So, Luke, appreciate you, man. Of course. Let's do um, it. So, as most people know, we've talked about it many times on the show. Me and Chris, we both became Christians probably like early college. So, it was like sophomore year, freshman year for you? Yeah, it was uh, second semester of sophomore year. Okay, cool. That was the same for me. So, both sophomore year of college. And one of the biggest things was we be like, I wouldn't, were you, would you say you were raised in the church? Would yeah. You say that? Okay, so I wasn't raised in the church. So, a lot of, um, Christian culture, Christian behavior, lots of stuff like that was new to me. Um, but when we, when I, when me, similar to, I wish Sam was here as well, but Sam had a similar story. But becoming a Christian, we were um, discipled, mentored, whatever you call it, in a predominantly white Christian context. Um, and then we were a part of predominantly white Christian churches. Correct. Um, usually known in America as like the evangelical church. Those yeah. are the churches we were a part of. And I think for the most part, it was a it was a good experience holistically. I don't there wasn't a lot of issues originally, mm-hmm. like at the beginning, but then as time progressed and and as different struggles and issues came about, um, we started seeing um, a separation, starting to see a separation in regards to what we felt and what we were passionate about and the issues that were really prevalent in our lives compared to the issues that we're talking about in the church, mm-hmm. and we started feeling disconnected. And then we started feeling like a need for assimilation, 
um, feeling a need of not being able to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And just we just kind of went through that. And um, Chris, kind of tell tell the part about um, the summer. I know we we always talk about it, yeah, yeah. but just just kind of share about what happened that summer that really was a breaking point for you. Well, I think it was two summers ago. Yeah, it was two summers yeah. ago, back in 2015. 16. 16. 16. Okay, cool. Yeah, 16. So it wasn't, yeah, that counts as a summer than this past summer. Okay. But um, yeah, so growing well, where did I start? I would say that I started going to this church um, junior year of college. So I've been going there probably two years before that summer of 2016. Um, and if you don't remember that summer, that was when a lot of the police shootings and police brutality was happening, um, of the killings of unarmed black men uh, during that time. And the church that I was going to, which was predominantly white church, um, wasn't really speaking on, on those issues. Uh, it was more of like, I mean, they, they asked, you know, uh, my friends and I some questions, you know, how are you dealing with this? Where, where's your heart like? Um, but as far as like addressing it as a community, as a as in a sermon or things like that, um, it just didn't happen. Um, like it just it just didn't happen mm-hmm. as soon as you know I would like it to be. Um, so it was really just tough and and seeing also seeing things on facebook from from um white christians that that uh like just really seeing their insensitive like insensitivity that's a good, that's a good word yeah. right there go, go. um they just really they would just you know just really either downplaying everything or ignoring everything or um just really not trying to hear what um the black community is saying and and i just felt really hurt and and just hopeless. Like I'm I'm being surrounded myself with um people who say they, you know, they love everybody, who say they are Christians, that they follow God, but they are so they just basically ignoring or not really paying attention to um the stuff that's been going on in, in the world, especially with um the killing of unarmed black men. And not only that, but police are walking away scot free from doing that. And I think we just it just said in my heart that that um, that the church we just wasn't speaking out enough, and like Sam and I just really just like if the church is not going to say anything, especially uh, the one that we were going to, like how do they feel about us, you know? Um, and you start questioning the church, God, everything at that point because you're hurting, like. If Christians are supposed to be other people, and we've specifically seen a specific group of people um, affected by another group, and we're not doing anything about it, and we're not speaking about it, and we're not challenging people about it, um, how can how can I continue going to this church and, and be a part of this group? And it was just really it was just a really hard time. That summer was very hard on Sam and I because we questioned everything. Um, not only the church, but the guy as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my background, um, I used to write a lot. Um, I wrote for like Desiring God, Gospel Coalition, a lot of these big evangelical websites. And um, I realized that whenever I wrote articles for them, they would they would edit them, which most websites do have no problem with that. But the output 
or the final draft was not even me at all. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I, I, don't know know I, I don't know if I told you guys that. You never that. told me that. But yeah, but when I would write for these websites and they would like publish them, like they, like it was totally different voice. Like using words I didn't even know. I was like, whoa, what's this word? I had to look, I had to look oh, it up. Oh my God. And um, I mean, I, I know I'm not the best writer in the world, so I'm not going to act like, you know, it was all, you know, their fault. Because I, you know, I had obviously errors and stuff like that. So I don't want to disregard it. But yeah. That's what bothered me. And then when I wrote my first book and I published it through an evangelical publishing company, it was the same exact thing. It, even It was a little bit less than writing. But when I wrote the book, it was still a certain voice and a certain language that I had to communicate in order to like appease them and their readers. Instead of and totally yeah, assimilate. Assimilate, okay. exactly. This assimilation. Um, and so that coupled with my heart for issues that the I feel like the evangelical church wasn't even talking about really created a disconnect. And uh man, that's kind of where we've kind of been in that 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 space and that limbo of like really trying to like reconcile like, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because um I guess what does it mean to be a Christian not so in regards to like theological beliefs or in regards to like practice, but in regards to being a black male and yeah. not being evangelical, but still being a Christian. And so, I don't know, we just kind of wrestling with that and just wanted to get, man, just some of your thoughts and just kind of hear your opinions on it and just, man, kind of just have that conversation, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, I hope that you didn't want, I hope that you weren't expecting of me to be a voice of opposition because I agree with you. Oh, of course not, of course not, of course not. I've had, I have spent my entire life in the church and specifically in white churches that, and interestingly enough, white churches that would name diversity as a value, mm -hmm. but do nothing to, to actually pursue diversity. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's like, you can say that you want to be a diverse church, but if all of the leaders in the church are, are old white men, then mm -hmm. diversity is not going to happen. You yeah. Know? And so I, you know, I, I hope that I am a voice uh, that is one with yours. I mean, that's, I, I see the same things. Mm -hmm. And I, I was a part of, you know, that, that summer. Yeah. Uh, watching that also and thinking like, what, like, what are we doing? Why, are, I don't understand why we're not responding mm -hmm. in, a, in a more, um, just in a, in a more intentional way mm -hmm. to what's happening. And uh, so, man, I don't, I don't know the answers. I just know that, that, um, that you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong with what you saw. I think that it's the the danger and the the thing that I would I would hopefully this is an encouragement to mm -hmm. you to you both uh, really to you because yours is a situation I I understand a little more than than what Hafiz just mentioned that yeah modifying your words that that's I can't, there's no justifying that I don't <laughs> think, but but um what I can say as a person who had had kind of a behind the scenes mm -hmm. view of what was happening is that the conversations that you guys were having with the leadership yeah. The leadership was also having behind closed doors and mm -hmm. we were and it was people trying to figure out like how do we what do we do you mm -hmm. know what do we do what is our voice i mean I, i've expressed this to you guys when we were off the air it's just that as all of that was happening you know some of my dearest podcasting friends and i were were also trying to figure out like okay we know we need to speak out but what's our role like mm -hmm. we don't want to be the white guys coming in to try to save the day that's yeah. you know that's only that's more trouble you yeah. know but um but I would say that was the same thing that was happening behind the scenes is we were trying to like, um, and I, I never got to attend any of those meetings. I never knew they were happening mm. until afterwards. Yeah. Um, 
but I heard kind of distillations of what was discussed and, and there seemed to just be a lot of confusion about like, well, what do we do? What do we actually do? And I think that's true for a lot of, a lot of white people. I think you have white people who, who are either completely oblivious and mm-hmm. this is, I'm speaking real generally. I'm not yeah, talking yeah. about that specific church. But, I got you. Okay. I got you. But I will say within, within, um, Christendom or within the evangelical church, you have white people who are, are legitimately clueless as mm-hmm. to what's going on. They take for granted that the world looks the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. So like they, they grow up and they think like, um, you know, black people are, are protesting violence, but, um, but what about black on black crime? You hear those kinds yeah, of yeah, arguments, yeah. which are, are just the Fox news staple. I mean, it's absurd, <laughs> but, it, but it's not, it doesn't, what I can say having, having been around that my entire life is that it doesn't come from a place of, it comes from a lack of understanding. It yeah. comes from people just that just do not understand that the world is not what they think it is. Mm. They've never had their worldview expanded in any way. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I have. When I was 19, you know, I, I, well, first of all, like growing up, I just, I was, I was always connected to kind of black culture. I mean, I grew up a huge hip hop fan. I was a break dancer when I was a kid. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to show you. I'm an old man now. So, yeah. um, but I grew up really connected to that. My best friends were always black. When I was 19, 20, I moved to Haiti. I lived in an all, I was the minority. I got to experience what it's like to be oh, the how only long white you guy for? in an all black church, you know, mm-hmm. in an all black nation. Wow. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I was there for about a year and a half and okay. then have led trips there for years. South by say. Okay. No, I'm not Haitian. I'm Nigerian. What's this? You know, you know, know Creole. My my best friend, John Mark. Shout out to John Marcus Haitian. Is he in Houston? Uh, now he's in Atlanta. Oh my gosh, I can't find any Haitians in Houston. If you have any Haitians in your in your audience, man, tell me. I'm Creole. I don't even know Creole. That's crazy. Oh man, I'll speak Creole with anybody, anytime, oh, all day long. Oh, yeah, I gotta call John Mark. Let him know about this. Please, man. he said, please. I would love it. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm amazed that you knew that. Yeah, yeah. So like, I have, I have, I think I just have a different worldview than a lot of the people who I look like. Yeah, cause I, I know you were saying that because I want you to go down the line for our listeners that they're clueless and, and what else you said that are that Yeah, so people. you got you've got people who are, are clueless that that um that just assume the world looks the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. They they assume that I mean I've lost friends over this in the last month actually. I had a guy that I posted some stuff about uh after Charlottesville and mm-hmm. and his response he texted me and said the last thing you posted was just absurd. I haven't had any more privilege than any person in the country. Every they they genuinely believe that everyone is born with the same opportunities mm-hmm. because we live in the land of the free. Gotcha. That we all have the same opportunities, mm. and they just can't get in their head that they that that's not true. And people, the other thing is, you have people who they maybe can can appreciate that the world looks different for different people, mm-hmm. but they don't understand the difference between systemic racism. And being a racist, mm. and that's a huge, huge difference. Yeah. So systemic racism is something that, like, I mean, it's built into our system. I cannot help as a white person. I cannot help that I have contributed to a system of racism. Mm-hmm. I can't help it for what I've done in the past. What yeah. I can do is look moving forward. I can recognize my privilege, and I can and I can try to change the system. Mm-hmm. But what people hear anytime the word racism comes out, they assume that you're saying you are racist in that you hate people of a different race mm-hmm. and that's something that doesn't resonate for them so they think it's wrong they just assume it's wrong they think well i don't hate you i don't hate anybody mm-hmm. i love everybody yeah and and that's where you get these movements like the you know all lives matter and stuff like that, that that it's because they're just not hearing 
mm-hmm. what systemic racism is. They don't understand that difference. Gotcha. And then you have people who I, this is who I would associate with people who feel woke yeah. and have, but have no idea how to contribute. Like yeah. they feel paralyzed by what's happening. I mean, I feel like I'm just one voice in a billion. And so mm-hmm. what do I, what do I do? How do I contribute? I don't know. Wow. No, nah, man, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, that really resonated with me because recently I wrote, I, I read a book called Wide Awake. Mm-hmm. It was a really good book about this like evangelical pastor who kind of came to that realization that, you know, like, and it really helped me a lot. And I feel like a lot of people should read this book. It's a great book. It's, 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 it's He's talking to white Americans, but overall it's a really great book to read, create an interesting perspective. How he was saying how most white people don't view themselves as white. They view themselves as Americans, Mm -hmm. you know? So the concept of being white is foreign to them because they usually live in homogenous communities, go to homogenous churches. Their their jobs are mainly people who look like them. So America is all, their America is different from other people's America because America is just America. Mm -hmm. But for us minorities, we know that we are, by definition, the minorities. We're 13% of the population. We mm-hmm. know, we turn on the TV, we know there's a few of us. You go to major cities, we know there's a few of us. Mm-hmm. We go to our schools and we play other sports teams and we're like, we know there's a few of us. Mm-hmm. So it's clear to us that we are the minorities. It's clear to us about our struggles because we are in it. But somebody else who's not in it versus who doesn't even learn about it is oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. For example, like we, most Americans don't know what it's like to live in a third world country. Mm-mm. We we have no idea. Yeah. We're like, well, it can't be that bad. Some people would even argue that it can't be, but because you, you're just oblivious to that. And you like, to your point, you say how so many people were oblivious to it. Um, so how do you, how do you feel like in regards to racial issues, um, how do we help people not be oblivious to it? And especially like a lot of church leaders and people like that who, who, just don't know. How do we help them not be oblivious to these issues? Man, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you stay the course. Like, as, as, as that's probably not very encouraging. Yeah. But the only thing I, I mean, this is where protests happen. Protests mm-hmm. happen when people feel like their voice is not being heard. Mm-hmm. So this is something I would see in Haiti all the time. Yeah. Protests were organized. There would be a day that you just know, you know, don't go on the street Monday because they're going to be burning cars in the street. Yeah. You just you didn't know to stay away from that. But it always brought about results. Mm. It wasn't violent in the sense of like they weren't trying to hurt people. They were trying to be heard. They were trying to disrupt the status quo. Mm-hmm. And so to that end, I think continue uh, kneeling during the anthem, continue protesting peacefully against violence. I think you fight violence with 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 nonviolence, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and I, and I think that what happens is the same thing that happened in the civil rights movement. You're gonna. Um, you're gonna there's gonna be people that get hurt there's gonna be people that are lost in that but that doesn't mean that it, that you're not that revolution is not happening I believe it is and I think I think slowly but surely um, as 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 non as people who uh, how do I say that people like me or people who who feel like they're on the fringes of that conversation will be drawn into it okay. uh, and we're trying to be drawn into it. And that's the other thing I guess I would say is to, is to, is to look for those people who like me feel paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Like it's not your job as black men to tell me how to use my voice. That's not your job. Mm-hmm. You don't owe me that. Yeah. But if you give me that, mm-hmm. I will give you my voice. Yeah. You can have whatever privilege is mine. I will, I'll share it. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want it. I've, you know, you talk about this, like I've come to a place over the last few years of, 
there are, there are so many times where I feel resentment of my own skin, mm. you know? Wow. And, and like, even when we, when you started this episode, you said, if you can tell he's white, it's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have to resent my own, yeah. you know, because, because of everything that's associated with, yeah. with being a white man. I, I, I recognize my privilege. I acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. I don't want it, but I don't know what to do with it. Got you. Got you. Um, I, who man, that's tough, man. And I can I can definitely um see and and feel your pain um from what from what you're describing. And I think like the conversations that we had with that church, um, I always go back to one recognizing that there is a problem. That, you know, it's harder being a black man in in America. Yes. It's it's simple as that. I believe um and and I think just like conversations like these is the solution yeah. um, one of these solutions? Um, one, like I said, recognize there's a problem and then having conversations because, um, like people at that church, they really do not talk to black people, especially black men. It just really doesn't happen. They don't have to talk to them, they don't have to walk, work around them, they don't have to be around them. They, I mean, they probably never had a black friend, yeah. Um, so if like we can, it's, it's, it's kind of similar as uh, you got to penetrate a market, you know. If we had this conversation with you and you know you can go and have the same conversation with those kind of people that would never talk to Hafiz and I, I mean, that's 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 change. That's growth. That's opportunity for uh, those people to really just, you know, be honest because they're going to be honest and more open with you than they are with us. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't get why every Sunday, like, these men are still kneeling. Like, when this will end, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, here's why they're doing that. Here's yeah. why it won't stop, you know? And and that's how you can get the thought, you know, churning and and, and change will uh, become because you just have to plant that seed of of saying, like, hey, like, this is why they're doing it. And, um, and I think small steps like that can definitely uh, – can definitely create change, but I mean, it's gonna take a long time. I think Hafiz and I, we we know that, yeah. Um, yeah. And we definitely we're building um, the world our kids are gonna live in, yeah, right? exactly. Not the world we exactly. Live in. Yeah. And uh, and it's um, it's it's giving me a lot of hope just from just from that last summer, um, seeing the sacrifice that people like Colin Kaepernick made um, to really continue putting the light on the issue, and then I also think. Ironically, Trump is a blessing in disguise mm. uh, because he won't shut up about it. And mm-hmm. the more he won't shut up about it, the more it's going to be in the media and the more the conversation is going to happen. And hopefully more change and change can grow. We just have to combat hate with love, Yeah, um, I think. And at the end of the day, um, men, like, Men just can't change other men's heart, but the gospel can. Yeah. Um, and I think that always goes back, always goes back to the gospel. Yeah. And and if we continue to preach the gospel, and and show the life of Jesus Christ mm. and how how we can teach not only black people but black women, well, white people as well, um, the love of Christ. They can be, what's the word I'm looking for? Reconciled. Yes, mm. <laughs> reconciled in the uh, in the gospel and can be more like Christ. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, that's the real root of the issue. It's not really just systemic racism, but at the end of the day, we're all um, we're all destined for hell, and we're all sinful before God, and we need a savior in Jesus. And I think that is the main message to be preached 
but we can use this message, this conversation to yeah. really reach um, that because, like, if if people just openly choose to ignore racism and ignore that conversation, mm-hmm. um, I just really question their heart of God. I yeah. really do. Um, and I know I'm not perfect. I know I got things that I simply uh, don't really pay attention to a lot of times. I know I got to grow in that area. Um, but if you know you have a church member or brother-in-law or something like that that's, that's affected by pr- police brutality and systemic racism, mm-hmm. um, like, as a Christian, like, you have to, you have to explore that. Yeah. And, and, and because you have to, like, you have to say, like, what does, what does the gospel say about this? What would Jesus do? What, what my heart should be like? And yeah. there are, there are men like you that are out there. Um, but I, like I said, I always, it always points back to the gospel yeah. to me. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the danger in that is that people, people don't see it firsthand. Because, so mm-hmm. because it's, it's like a, it's a catch 22. It's like if, okay. if people saw it happening in their own backyard to people they were in community with, they would feel outraged by it. Correct. But so long as the only place that we are hearing about it from so long as that is Fox News or that is mm-hmm. whatever media outlet, yeah. left, right, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So long as that's the only place you're hearing about it, we can still continue to refuse to believe that that's what the world actually looks like. We, we mm-hmm. always, we see that and we think it's the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. We don't think, well, that's not the rule. Yeah. The, the, there have to be extenuating circumstances that are not being taught to us or that are not being told to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you have places like Fox News that are creating extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. They're saying, well, here's all the reasons why I mean, Trayvon Martin, like, h- how many reports were there about just how bad of a kid he was if oh, you were man. watching the right, the yeah. right news channel? All the, all the time. Yeah. And it's like that, <laughs> yeah. that's irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, crazy. it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. yeah, You still don't get shot for that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, that's good. And there's this three really good points, and I, I want to touch on all three of them, but I want to take one at a time. Um, but the first thing, I, I don't want this to be a bad session on um, white Americans. No, not, not I don't want that to be. Um, and... This is a really, really good book called um, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Great Ooh. book. Won a Nobel Prize. It's it's a it's a, a book just talking about a basically the basic premise of this book is that there's this guy and he's in New Guinea, this white American in New Guinea, and this guy asks him, he says, How can your people were able to colonize my people and my people weren't able to colonize your people? This is local New Guinea man asking this white guy that. Yeah. And the white guy was just like I he just didn't know how to answer it. So he spent like 60 years of his life trying to figure out how come the Europeans were able to colonize the rest of the world and how the rest of the world wasn't able to colonize Europe. And it's a really, really great book. And the biggest thing that the book really showed me is that it, it it's not because the color of your skin doesn't make you evil. No. Circumstance makes you, makes you do evil. Okay. And I don't want to create um, a toxic environment. And I feel like even as Americans, we're creating a more toxic environment um, of blaming people due to the color of their skin mm-hmm. by saying, oh, white people are the problem. Mm-hmm. It wasn't white people who were the problem. It was people who did evil and created evil institutions. Yeah, because we always uh, said that um, it was the roles were reversed. If yeah. a black man came over first yeah. with all the, from Europe, yeah. it would, same thing would probably happen. Exactly. You know? So we just, we just, we just don't want to create that conversation moving forward because similar to how we don't want our kids hating the color of our skin, Correct. we don't want your kids and the future generation hating the color of their skin. Because I've I've heard that a lot. Like you said, I resent 
being white. I've heard that a lot. And to me, like from a from a gospel perspective, like God made you, God said you're beautifully and wonderfully made just as much as we are. Exactly. And um our color is beautiful just as much as your color is beautiful. Correct. Um, and so we don't, in order to create equality, we don't want to demonize one group of people. If we're, you know, we want to uplift both groups and put us on equal platforms saying, mm-hmm. hey, we're both beautiful in God's image. So I think I really want to encourage you by that, by saying, man, like, no, be proud. You know what I mean? Yeah. Love who you are. You know, understand that you're, historically, your people, um, your your ancestors, ancestors did some bad things. But to be honest with you, I'm, my parents from Nigeria, my ancestors probably did some bad things. They probably sold their ancestors down, you know, down to the to the, uh, Europe and to the Americas. So I don't want to create um, a guilt trip for anybody yeah. based upon the color of their sure. skin. Um, but I think your point is that you're 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 enlightened or woke. I hate that word, by the way. <laughs> but you're enlightened and you're aware of the issue. And but we know. How well, we can talk about how advocates like you can continue to champion our movement, but what I've always what I wrote down a long time ago is it's not until the unaffected are as angry as the affected mm-hmm. where true change will will happen. Hundred percent true. I and agree. so, how do we get? We know you're in light, but how do we get other people to care? How do we get them to see like what? What can we do to get people, um, white Americans and other races, to really see what's really going on in America? Because I thought about, I thought of it like, as a man, I realized that it's easier to be a man for a lot of things than it is to be a woman. I'm able to look at we're different. I'm able to look at the experiences different. I can't. I can't. It's it's erroneous for me to say, as a man living in America, men's and women don't go through different. Go through the same struggles. It's erroneous for me to yeah. say that, and I'm able to look at, look past my personal experience and look at women's stories and say, "Wow, like I've and I've been enlightened to that." So, how can we get other white Americans to look past their experience and look past their stories and to to see our stories and to be enlightened and to learn what's really going on in these communities? Yeah, man, I wish I knew. I yeah, mean, I really don't. Like, I, mean, I, I think I just think it's just. Uh, it's experiences because yeah. I mean, as a man, you interact with a woman every day. Yeah, your mom's a woman. You yeah. know, you see that all the time. Yeah. So you're gonna comp- compare, contrast all the time. Whereas, um, like, like uh, you could put it on both sides, black men and white men. Like, yeah. if black men, that's all they hang out with. They always, you know, together. Yeah, they can. They automatically assume that all white men are the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all Americans and they are, you know, they're killer black men, they're racist, they mm-hmm. don't want to see us to see, yada, yada, yada. And you go to the white group, you're going to say, like, all black men or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just, they just never, like, never integrated. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I mean, I luckily grew up in a diverse high school where I had black friends, white friends, yeah. Hispanic friends. What about those who don't have it? That's what I'm saying. Those That's who what don't I'm saying. Have it, what well, they, do? I mean, they, they, they're probably not going to really not have it if they don't have to. If they're yeah. in a space where they don't have to interact or be diverse, mm. I mean, it's going to be really hard, like, hard for us to sit here and come with a, conc- uh, a solution mm-hmm. saying, like, um, like for them to, or in, in order for them to have that conversation. Yeah. Because they just probably won't interact with us. Mm. They don't have to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They just don't have to. Yeah. You have to interact with a woman. That's why you can, it's easy for us to compare contrast a man and a woman. Yeah. But if, 
as a black man, you don't have to interact with a white person. You're going to have those stereotypes and your mind's going to be made up. Mm-hmm. Like, my dad made up, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know how many white friends my dad has, yeah. you know? Like, my granddad, don't get him started, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. it's made up, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but for me, like, mine's different. I, I've seen, I have a lot of comparisons to some white friends of mine from Challenge View. Because we grew up in the same community. Like, we yeah. had this... We had the same struggles. Yeah. Um, so like, I can easily relate to them. Yeah. If both sides do not have to, you know, coexist and talk to each other, mm. nothing's gonna happen. You're not gonna get that conversation. You're not gonna we can't, we're not gonna have a solution like that. Mm. Huh. <laughs> so <laughs> man, that that's that's upsetting, which which leads us back to the original conversation about the church. And like it, it just blows my mind because we understand that the world, there's issues of struggles and oppression and of evil that the world will just never see, mm-hmm. which is why God created the church as his vehicle of reconciliation, not only reconciling God to man, but man to one another. Exactly. But the main vehicle of reconciliation is oblivious to those issues. Yeah. Like it, it just blows my mind that like churches will die on the hill of abortion will freaking fly to Africa into some unreached people group in a heartbeat and understand and empathize and deal with their issues and learn from them. But in regards to issues with minorities, they just they just don't even it's uncomfortable. It's like it's like not even it's non existent. It's uncomfortable. It's, I think that's gotta be born out of the assumption that we all have the same mm. opportunities here. So like why would I drive across town and and serve someone I mean, I hate that language even. <laughs> Serve someone in uh, in my backyard if they have the same opportunities that I do. Mm. I mean, it's the same way. You, I mean, you got people that they'll, they'll you know, you pass someone who's uh, who's homeless on the street and you just, you have these assumptions. You're like, well, that person just needs to clean up and go get a job. Mm. They're going to spend my money on alcohol or drugs. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's we have these well, assumptions about each other. And, and I think that we have to, <clears throat> we have to lay down those assumptions. I mean, we have to, we have to assume that we know less than we than we think we do. Everybody thinks they've got it figured out. None of us do. Mm-hmm. I need to assume that I don't know what life looked like for you. And so when you tell me what life looked like for you, it's my job to believe you. That mm-hmm. is my only job. It's not to correct you. Mm-hmm. It's not to tell you, well, like, no, that's not what the world looks like. What the world looks like is you have this freedom and this freedom and this freedom. My job is to trust you when you say, I feel oppressed. I don't feel safe when I get pulled over by a cop. That's a very different experience for you and I. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to believe you yeah. when you say it. And and you have to be- you need to believe me, too, when I tell you what the world looks like for me. Yeah. Because I'm not telling you what the world looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what I've seen. Yeah. And so, I don't know, man. I, I just think that's that's a big part of it is we have to learn to resign our own assumptions about each other uh, and even about ourselves. I, I agree. Um, because, I mean, you can use that for any topic. Like, uh, I know the most, what was the most recent topic that I just never heard of, but I decided to die. Oh, it was the red pill. I don't know if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, uh, it was about... Um, Basically, this feminist and uh, talking to, uh, is it uh, feminism? And what, what what's the, uh, man's rights. And uh, so she was going around interviewing uh, feminists and men's right people and uh, why the men right groups say they're, you know, struggling or uh, whatever. And 
for a long time, apparently I was a feminist because I always said like women have it worse than men, you know. And when I dove and saw the red pill and we had our conversation afterwards that Hafi exposed us to, I was like, dang, men go through a lot. You know, I I just never knew. I didn't know prostate cancer and breast cancer, basically the same, you know, death-wise. And and you hear a lot more about breast cancer, but you don't hear nothing about prostate cancer. It's not it's not a bash on, you know, right. on feminism or women, but it's a lot of things I just didn't know. I was like, I would have never knew that. I would have never watched that if it went five feet. So like I just wouldn't wouldn't care. So I think we could use that um in any situation with uh with the church. I think the church leader and leaders decide what they want their focus on. If they're focused on discipleship, and they do, they're going to do discipleship really well. Um, they're focused on uh, worship. Worship's going to be done really well, and they're going to f- focus on uh, the Bible, X, Y, Z. They're going to be focused on really well. And I think diverse churches, um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think diverse churches really talk about racism a lot. I just haven't seen it uh, personally. But I just know that if that for that conversation to come up, I think it has to be more than just diverse leaders. Um, I think I know if that church that we went to had a, a black man on staff, I still would have left. Like it just wouldn't sure. really, it really wouldn't change much uh, for me. Um, just because, I mean, I just think like it was just really uncomfortable for them to have that conversation. And say, hey, this is a problem. We all need to figure this out. You Ex- know, accept that. Mm-hmm. If the staff were diverse, mm-hmm. if the leadership, I don't want to say the staff, if the leadership of the congregation were more diverse, mm-hmm. then the thing that you described a minute ago changes. Okay. So the conversation does come to the forefront because those who are in leadership are having to interact with it day in, day in and day out. You're right. That, as, long as, as long as we don't have to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. we don't have to feel connected to yeah, it. Yeah. So you're saying like if if we had a, 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 a diverse staff member, the congregation get more diverse, therefore it kind of forcing that hand to talk about the conversation. So I won't say a diverse staff member. I'll say a diverse staff. I think okay, having okay, a token extra person is it's not going to work. You're just saying it's, just staff as a token, whole. You know, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm, what I'm saying is, is if that diversity that is a value is modeled in the leadership, mm. then the conversation has to change it because to it's going to change behind closed doors. It's going to change on stage. That makes has sense. to. Mm. It's unavoidable. That makes sense. That I mean, makes a lot of sense. That's crazy because, man, Chris. The point about the red pill was deep because, and what Luke said really just, I had to write that down because unless you're willing to assume or, and trust other people's narratives, yeah, you will never, ever move forward in life. That's, that's You know, that's like true. I remember, I'll never forget it. A group of girls came on this show and they were explaining to us how they felt. And I remember this when I was, I've heard this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to you guys yeah. after that episode. And I was just like, no, you're wrong. That's not true. Like, But that's how she, her life literally was. Yeah. And I could not respect it because in my own little world, that's not how life is. Mm-hmm. But until I was able to, like you said, assume that what they're going through is true and their experience, I will never be able to really serve and be a good friend and care for their issues. And it just, it, 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 it sound, it sadly sounds like to Chris's point and to your point that a lot of these churches will never change until they die out or until new churches with this true model of diversity and not for diversity's sake. Right. Um, mm, that's a good point. Come yeah, about. For, yeah. 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 yeah I, I mean, I think that's true. I, I, I think, 
we also have to redefine some some terminology. I mean, like, so so long as people on either side of the conversation. So feminism is a, a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Feminism has this this. Um, um, it's like a, it, like the word is ruined for a lot of people. If they it hear is. feminism, they already they automatically assume all of these different things. Mm-hmm. They assume, oh, you hate men, or you you know whatever. And the same with racism. It's like I said, like so long as racism is, is our understanding of racism is you think I hate you. Yeah. Then we're not even having the same conversation. Yeah, that's true. We're not even having the same conversation. Mm-hmm. So long as we talk about sexism, means that like, you know, we, we so long as we fail to understand what those words actually imply. Mm. And we assume they imply, imply other things. Yeah. We assume it's an indictment on me as a person mm. or on or on my family or on or we assume it means that I can't be proud of my heritage mm. or something like that that I should be ashamed. Yeah. Then we're not having the right we're not having the right conversation. Mm. Mm. It's once we it's what it, what it means is that like whenever we we talk about racism or sexism or any of those uh, phobias that we have about each other what we need to what we need to assume that that means is that I don't understand your perspective yeah. and that's okay. It's yeah. okay if I don't understand your perspective, yeah. but, but our resting state, our default state as human beings, or at least as Americans is to assume that everyone has the same worldview. Yeah. We yeah. assume that like what I think is what everybody thinks. And, mm, and so gosh. long as we change that yeah. and, until we change that. Common sense is really not common sense. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing common about it. Yeah. yeah. Bro, man, that's so deep because, like, when I was reading the book, no, it's funny because the first book, Wide Awake, the guy was talking about that, saying how we just assume that certain things is normal and everybody else who doesn't do that, that's just, that's, they're not living in reality. So one of, the, one of the points he made was when he was in Bible college, he learned theology and then he learned African-American theology and then he learned Latin American theology. But... Where was white theology? Hmm. There was no white theology. Theology was white theology. Mm-hmm. And then African-American theology wasn't theology. It was African-American theology. So it's it's this narrative in America for a lot of people that my world is normal. Most people either are wrong or they're not a part of my world. Yeah. And the the, the tension is getting people to really see like Chris pointed out, see our, our world, which is so, just so difficult in this polarized society. Especially, I think Facebook is doing a terrible job of it as well, where you're only being reinforced your beliefs. If you like Richard Spencer, you're only going to get Richard Spencer. If you only if you like Milo, you only get Milo and Ben Shapiro. You're, you're, you're not listening to both sides. And that's the problem. Like how many white Americans would honestly say they listen to a Dr. Eric Dyson? Or Roland Martin, mm-hmm. you know, or um, what's that guy's, um, Boyce Watkins. Mm-hmm. You know, like how many of them say, well, they they listen to them. And then white Americans, how many people w- would know who Ben Shapiro is? Mm-hmm. You know, how many people would know who Dave Rubin or Joe Rogan is? Like how many people would know the voices on these other sides? Like we just literally stick in our camps. Yeah. yeah. And we don't even do it on purpose. That's yeah. the, that's yeah. the thing is that like, this, is where I'm, this is what I'm saying. So like those are the people who, if those are the voices you're hearing, you assume those are the voices that everyone's hearing. Mm. And so anyone who's, who's counter to that yeah. is the exception. Mm. And, and, they're, and they're an even more extreme minority because mm. they're, they're just, you know, they're just being loud. They're just making noise. They're disturbing mm. the peace that, you know, that the rest of us are enjoying. Yeah. And, and it, it's funny. You have like wealthy people and we're all wealthy people. 
in this country. Wealthy people are comfortable talking about the underprivileged, mm. but they're not comfortable recognizing their own privilege. The mm. only time that we are comfortable recognizing our, that we are privileged is when we want to say that we are blessed and it is a gift from God that we are this or we are that. Mm. Where the gospel calls us to poverty. If it calls us to anything, it calls us to poverty. Yeah. And so, and so, but until we get comfortable with the idea of privilege, but, but again, this is what I've said a minute ago, like people hear, people hear privilege and they take it as an indictment. They, mm. they, they take that to say like, if you think I didn't work for what I have, yeah. you're, you're, you're mistaken. Yeah. They need to understand privilege is like, has any, has anyone ever walked up to you? I'll ask you, Bilo, has mm -hmm. anyone ever, has a white person ever walked up to you and said, can I touch your hair? Oh, Lord. Mm -hmm. All the time. <laughs> That's never happened one time in my life. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I would completely take for granted. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever gone into Walgreens and found a Band-Aid that matches your skin color? I see. Take the white. We took the white privilege test. Well, I'm just. I mean, what? These, these are things <laughs> that had to test. be. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, that. I haven't taken a test. These oh. are things that, like, in my conversations with people, that they've opened my eyes to. Where I'm yeah. like, oh my god, no. These are things I've never even. It never even crossed my mind. Yeah. No. There's uh, there's an actual there's an actual test called the white privilege test. Oh wow, I didn't know that. And um, it has it has those are some of the questions. Oh. And uh, it's funny that you bring it up. And I want to I want to I want to keep on bringing this back because do you know who Stephen Crowder is? Mm -mm. No, I'm not gonna ask Chris. <laughs> I don't know but, nothing. <laughs> but Steve, Stephen Crowder is one of like the lead voices on like the, the not the alt right, but the new right. Oh yeah. Um, you know who Ben Shapiro is? I don't. Okay. Uh, I keep my head in the sand, man. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not making a podcast. Yeah. I'm asleep, so, so anyway, so there's the, they're like the voices of like the young adult right. And Steven Crowder took the white privilege test on air and he was just like poking fun at it. And usually, I mean, for a lot of those guys I really am fans of, but it really bothered me because like how you were like right now, how you're able to say, wow, that sucks. And that's real that somebody was wanting to touch your hair or you can't find a Band-Aid that looks your color. Like Steven just blew it off and was just laughing at it and talking about how stupid it was. And, and, and to me, it was just like, like I'm always going back to how are we going to get this message mainstream? How are we going to get this message to these thought leaders and to these and to these individuals who are staunchly believing what they believe and are unable to move and see anything else? Because they're the really one, they're really the movers and shakers in society. They're the really ones influencing people, especially these churches. Like, how can we get people to start having these conversations and to see outside of their own little worlds? Yeah. I can think of two things. Yeah. So one of those is that we we don't worry about those people. Okay. Because they're only going to be leaders for a little while longer. Okay. And so it sounds cliche to say you invest in the children. That sounds like we've been saying since the 80s, but like yeah. uh -huh. but it's like we are we legitimately are we need to invest. We need to to instill these things into the people who will be leading our world. I agree. Mm -hmm. They are not leading our world yet. The people who are won't be around much longer. They mm -hmm. just won't. Mm -hmm. Uh the only other thing I can think of and this this kind of gets into some of my story of of like my faith so when I was 24, I came off staff, my first church staff job, and it ended bad. It was politics. It was bureaucracy. It was a lot of ugly things. First time I'd seen all of that after 24 years in the church. Mm. And so I left the church altogether. I was like, you know what? I love Jesus, but I cannot stand those people. I'm not doing it. I can't, I can't be a part of it. And I sat for three years outside of 
the church universal mm-hmm. uh, kind of like hollering in, here's everything you're doing wrong. Yeah. And, and it was, it took me three years to realize like, this isn't the way to do it. If I want to, if I want to affect change, I have to go where those people are and I have to put my, I have to find a position among them. I have to have a role among them where, where they respect me and I have a voice in their life. Mm. And it's only then that I can, that I can speak into their life and I can mm-hmm. affect change. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the case here too, unfortunately. It's that, um, mm. I, you know, while I, while I just said, I think you got to keep protesting. I also think you got to have people who are infiltrating and, yeah. and, and like who are a part of the systems who put themselves into those systems so that they can change things. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of those statements because one thing that really shocked me about Charlottesville uh, with those pictures came out, they were young Mm-hmm. Men, I was yeah. just like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, you know, like that's terrifying. Yeah, I was just like, "That is very, very scary." And I, and I just didn't know. I was like, "I, I thought, you know, it's an older men yeah. problem." Old redneck white guys. Yeah, yeah. no, they're wearing these overalls were, and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, these were you know people that probably went to college with me or people yeah. that you know that I don't know. Yeah, it's just that really shocked my uh, rocked my world a little bit. It's just yeah. like, man, the, like I. That could be anybody I know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that just really just was really just crazy to me. And then, like you said, I think also um, infiltrating uh, those those type of people to create change is definitely is definitely big as well. Um, and art. Art's the other thing I would say. I mean, this is what we're doing right now. Yeah. And, and every kind of artistic medium. That's that's the thing that has. has yeah. There have been revolutions for thousands of years because yeah. of the art that's it's, created. It's, I know, but it's something. It's something missing. Like I've yeah. seen a lot of movements have worked in the past, but for some reason, racism has stayed around. Yeah, and I just, I just now, and I think what Luke said, he, you hit the nail on the head because I'm, I'm big on voices, and I listen to a lot of different voices. I actually listen to more people on the right than I listen to on the left. Most of the, like, like growing up, evangel, like becoming a Christian, becoming like. I love Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, John Piper. Like I'm, like, those are those are people I'm always listening to. But what I what I've really, really learned is that they just don't know. Like you said, like racism is continues to be perpetuated in America because since 1960, some people still live in 99% white communities. Yeah. Some people like they nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, like you like you have a few people that have trickled in. You know, few exceptional blacks that move into the nice neighborhoods, and we have our own booming African American middle class. But most people, especially those in privilege and in power, are in the same exact places they were 50, 60 years ago. And I and I always ask the question that we understand that human history for true change to happen, it takes generation after generation after generation mm-hmm. for things to happen. For the scientific scientific perspective, like evolution, yeah, we understand how long it takes. But my number one beef with the conversation about racism is a lot of people think it was supposed to change overnight. You know, mm-hmm. like people thought, oh well, so well, you guys got your rights in 1960s. It, it, it should be the same. Like, no, <laughs> like that's not that's literally not how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, it takes 
years to establish cultures and practices and norms. Like, look at all these ancient societies like China and Egypt. Like, they're thousands of years old. America is 200 years old. Yeah. You got to remember, the, the Civil Rights Bill was passed in 1965, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, or 69, one of those two years. Like, I mean, it was 65. And that's crazy. Like, yeah. that's, that was le- less than 70 years ago. Yeah. It's not that far off. Not even a lifetime. Not yeah. even a lifetime. Yeah. People are, like, it, it just blows my mind when I'm on, when I watch some of these old white people talk. And I just wonder, like, were you racist when you were a kid? Like, were you a true, like, protesting Ruby Bridges? Get that out. You know, yeah. like, were you like that? Because yeah. not saying that you're a bad person, but you're simply a product of your time. Yeah, exactly. And I, I and I think we we have to find like our co- conversations like these are are great, but we need to find ways to continue to have these conversations with people who literally don't believe and don't see our world, and pray that God continues to open their eyes to see our world and the struggles of minorities. So, you know? like, what, like, because you you keep bringing up like we got to figure out ways to keep having this conversation. Yeah. So, what are you? Like, what specifically that you're looking for? Because I think, like I said, I think Colin Kaepernick is, is definitely putting that on notice every I think Sunday. he's doing a bad job. You think he's doing a bad I think, job? I, I okay. think Colin's doing a bad job. Because, like, you think the focus is shift from racism to the flag? Yeah. Okay. I think Colin, and here's what I, here's one thing I feel like. Oh, we we need to talk about Colin, too. Oh, we'll talk about Colin, too. Um, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> but I think Colin is doing a bad job. And let me preface by this. Colin is doing amazing work. <laughs> okay, this is an antinomy right here. It's, it's seemingly paradoxical because I'm saying two statements that seemingly contradictory. Yeah. He's doing an ama- amazing work okay. in regards to um, his youth camps and educating people. Okay. But in regards to branding mm-hmm. the movement, he's, he's doing a bad job. And he messed up okay. with a few things. He messed up with the Fidel Castro socks. He messed up with the shirts with the, I mean, no, the Fidel Castro shirt and the shirt and the, the, and the socks with the pig yeah. socks. Yeah. See, what happens is people want to discredit you so easily. That was very easy. Most people don't know exactly this, right. but Rosa Parks was chosen. Rosa Parks was chosen. Before Rosa Parks, I forgot the lady's name. I should, I should, I should know this, but I got too much in my head. Before mm-hmm. Rosa Parks, there was a young black woman who refused to get off the bus. I think it was a lot of black people that did yeah, There was before. a lot of black people, yeah. but there was a bigger story than Rosa Parks. Oh, okay. There was a big story about a young black woman who refused to get off the bus. And uh, whatever, I think it was SNCC, NAACP, one of those organizations wanted to use her story to really combat the issue. But she had a kid. And she was single. Ooh. And they knew that if they used her, unfortunately, they will label her and they will dis- they will they will diminish her message due to whatever moral inferiority they had. Yeah. So they intentionally picked Rosa Parks, a light skinned woman. They intentionally picked the light skinned girl because they knew she'd be a little bit more relatable to the white American. And she also worked for NCAAC. And they made sure she had a clean record. Yeah. So unfortunately, w- what happens is you have to understand. The strategies that people are going, you have to understand what's going to cause people to misinterpret your message. Yes, that's I one agree. Of, my friend, um, show who was on this, um, this show, dun, 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 a couple of weeks, a month ago, he 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 helped me in my writing by saying, when you write, always write thinking about the critic, thinking about how they're going to pick apart your argument and make sure you answer their questions. Mm-hmm. And so the thing with Colin was they were easily going to pick off Colin. 
Yeah. They were easy. And he, and it wasn't, it was too late. Yeah, it was. It was too late. And then all they focused on was the things he did wrong. Correct. So that's why I said, I feel like he's, he did a, he's doing a great job, but he just made bad mistakes. He made bad mistakes that cost the integrity of his message. Yes. But the message is still out there. The message is still out there, but what is the message about? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's about the flag. You're yeah, right. You're it's right. about the flag, but then it was about only reason he's protesting is because he sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it, it was like, oh, he's just mad. Or he doesn't have a right to protest because yeah. he's rich. Yeah, because yeah, he's yeah, rich. Yeah. The, 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 like, when it comes, this is what people don't respect what Martin Luther King and them did. Mm-hmm. They were so tactful. They were they were so wise. Every single move and decision they made, people were like, "Why do they get like Malcolm?" This is what makes me mad about Malcolm X. Malcolm X was always complaining about, "Oh, these Mark Martin Luther King was Uncle Uncle Tom for letting these people get beat up." But Malcolm um, Martin Luther King understood we have to get abused on television for them to be empathetic on us, unless they because they don't see it yeah. until they saw what we were going through. The people wouldn't change, which is why he wanted to do the nonviolence, which is why he welcomed the police dogs and the hoses. He understood. So, like I was saying, I know we went on a little rabbit hole, but with the Colin Kaepernick issue, I feel like. It wasn't tactful enough until it was too late. Uh, yeah, I think I, I I don't think when when Kaepernick took a knee, I don't think he knew he didn't how know. big he didn't know the big it was. And then also it's a different time, but yeah, he, he made different. He definitely made some mistakes. Yeah. Like that, like the pigs house was real. Like yeah, like you got like come on now, yeah. like you got to make better decisions than yeah. that because social media nowadays they gonna eat that alive. They gonna eat that alive. Uh, and the message, unfortunately, it is all about the flag and yeah. standing up. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really, I mean, they're going, like I said, they are going to find a way to ignore the overall message. Mm-hmm. So they're using that as, I mean, because we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Like, like I said, they're, they're going to find ways to uh, to poke holes in it and ignore the message. Um, but I think, I think the overall message is out there still. I think. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but to me, if you watch the NFL, you know why they're kneeling. Um, I have a question. Your your friends, how many of them? Let's throw a random percentage out. You feel mm-hmm. like understand the message behind Colin Kaepernick? Um, so I've got a pretty diverse friend group, and I don't even mean racially. I yeah, mean, uh, people who get it and people who don't. Yeah. So, okay. um, I would say it's probably fifty fifty. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect a lot, but uh, yeah. I mean. I'll take it. <laughs> there are there are plenty of people in my world who do not get it. Who, yeah. who for them the message isn't. It's either about the flag and taking the whole thing as a disrespect of whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, or the message is about Colin Kaepernick. You know, gotcha. this is just an athlete that's he's a spoiled athlete and he's trying to get attention. He's doing gotcha. this to keep himself in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, we got, it goes back to where they get that information from. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, because. To me, he can do everything perfectly and it's still shining light on something yeah. else. When it goes back to what you're saying, like this this has to happen. All of this is going to happen in the context of nuanced, intentional dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Humble, peaceful, calm dialogue where we all come in and say, I'm not right. I just want to hear your perspective. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't happen when we have little – it's the sound bites and mm, it's, the, yeah. it's the social media versions of what happens. So long as we – so long as we see – 
so long as we're only getting part of the story and that's all we have to mm-hmm. to know to kind of keep up with the conversation, we can just accept whatever opinion is handed to us. We don't mm-hmm. actually have to listen to anyone's perspective. Got you. And so back to my original question when I asked you what you had wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Did you give us an answer? About oh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> we talked about, you asked about college. Yeah, I did, I did, I did. That. So you're saying, what what, what do I yeah, want to see? because you said you were afraid that the message is lost mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the conversation is not being happening. Like, yeah. Well, like, what do you what do you think we have to change, or yeah. you know, what do you think has to happen? Yeah, man. Like I said, I'm a, I I listen to a lot on the right. I listen to a lot on the left, and and I literally see two different groups of people who are oblivious to the other's point of view. Yeah. And everyone's trying to make a point. And no one's everyone's trying to make a point and be heard, but no one's trying to listen and to learn. Correct. And I feel like it's not until individuals from both sides actually sit down and not be and not try to prove themselves right not try to make the other person look look, look like an idiot but to have an honest and open dialogue because the truth of the matter is hopefully uh, when luke shares a podcast his friends are going to hear it and be enlightened but from what i understand most of your friends well even this is 50 are enlightened mm-hmm. but the circles that we need to invest to truly make a change are people who like 90% of their friends are unenlightened. Yeah. So, and won't listen in the first place. And won't listen as soon in the first as, place. As soon as it becomes a conversation they about won't police listen. brutality or yeah. privilege, or as soon as they hear those words, those buzzwords, they, they're out. They're, they're out. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. totally out. They, they already know everything that you think. Exactly. Yeah. Or, Even though they don't. Yeah, exactly. Mm. They think they know what we're going to say. They think they know the conversation. So it's not until, you know, Tucker Carlson, right? Mm-mm. Fox News guy? No, okay. I for sure don't know. <laughs> so it's not. I don't listen to writing. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I listen to everything, but <laughs> but it's not. But it's not until leaders like those people who have the ears for all those individuals. You know what I mean? Not until mm-hmm. people who have the ears for all those individuals are talking about those issues. You know, because like we've been having, like you said. African Americans been having this conversation. It's crazy. Like, listen to old Martin Luther King sermons. Listen to all old um, Malcolm X messages. It's literally the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. If you read W. E. Du Bois' books, um, "The Soul of Black Folks" in 1900, <laughs> it's the same exact thing. Like, yep. it's like crazy. Like, you can't. So we've been having the conversation, but the problem is that these really, really good conversations have not trickled trickle down into the in, into the individuals who really make up America. You know what I mean? The 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 Donald Sterlings. You yeah. know, these type of people. Like it, they're not like this they Steve Bannons. They're not the Breitbarts. They're not having these conversations because they already, like you said, they already know what's going on. If they hear police brutality, they automatically as a reflect black and black crime. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If they hear poverty, they automatically go to um, single motherhood. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 there's no nuance to their worldview. And it isn't until we can have conversations, or they're having those conversations, and truly being humble, which goes back to my original quote, until the unaffected are as equally affected as the affected, or care as much as the affected, change won't happen. Yeah, I... I, I see what you're saying, but that goes back to what Luke was saying, mm-hmm. um, where we have to, like, people might be stuck in their way. Yeah. So they may not have that conversation. We have to invest in our in our, in our our future, in our kids. But to, but that point, 
they're teaching their kids the same stuff. Like you I said, with I, the tiki I torches. Mm-hmm. It's a they're they're the sixty the people from the sixties are literally having the children, mm-hmm. grandchildren who are believing the same stuff. I, they I agree, and like I said, I think I think what where I believe the message can be probably just as effective yeah. is in the church. Oh, there we go. I mean, like there we freaking go. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you just gotta have that conversation in the church if if you know that your congregation is majority white folk. I mean, how is she gonna have like how is she gonna penetrate that uh into that people group? Because that's where they're going. That's, that's what a I'm crazy saying. thing. These most of the conservative Republican voting white upper middle class Americans that used to go to some type of church service. Mm-hmm. We know God, country, and what are guns or family, whatever the four <laughs> things are. Well, <laughs> football. 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 God, family, football. <laughs> and um uh, they're in the churches, but to our point, the churches are not having these conversations. But so, I mean, I, so here's the here's what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. The whole time you were talking before we got to the church, uh-huh. but I think the problem is the same. I was going to say like this conversation gets some traction when the media can profit from it. Mm. When it's no mm. when when the thing that is clickbait is 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 this sort of conversation rather than this inflammatory talk. Mm-hmm. Then as soon as that's the thing people want to click on, and 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 Breitbart can make money from it mm. because they don't care about engaging in this conversation. Yeah. Mm. They care about clicks. They care about money. They care yeah. about sponsors. They care about all that stuff. Yeah. So as soon as that becomes profitable, yeah, and that's what people want to consume, man, this conversation we won't be able to stop it. We won't be able to. We, you won't be able to stay away from it. Now I you talk sense. about the church. Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem in the evangelical church, I believe, without question, is consumerism. Mm-hmm. And, and and so long as. So like I'm I'm thinking about the church that we were a part of. So mm-hmm. in the same time that you and Sam are trying to have conversations and be like, hey, why aren't you guys calling this out? I know from being on the inside of that church that there's also emails coming in for the things that were said, yeah, from people who thought they should not have, not been have said, said, yeah. And so and so it's this like it's this tug of tug- war gosh. of consumerism of like, yeah. well, who's going to win out? How do you how do you balance that? Yeah, how do gosh. you please everybody? You can't. You can't. You know, that's, yeah. And that's and and that's. Uh, Man, that's so frustrating. Yeah, it that's is so frustrating. But it's the same. It's the same mentality. So, like, the response to that on either side. So, like, my response to that, being a person who who wishes those things were being said a little more publicly, is well, those people who are upset can just take off. Like, yeah. They, yeah. those aren't people we want here. Yeah. But they have the same perspective mm-hmm. of, of like, if you're not going to get in line, then you should just. It's the it's the same place, and I, I hate even using this phrase, but it's I think it's the maybe the worst thing that people have said through the years, the whole go back to Africa thing, it's that same mentality. If you don't like it, then go back. It's it's insane. That's crazy because, man, it's it's so crazy. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Because this, because I was thinking, I was literally thinking about that today because most, when you have these conversations about we don't like the way things are, they say, well, go back to Africa. And they don't understand how even America was created. Yeah. <laughs> America wasn't created to be this one big place where you every like you had this norm and this was America. Like the states were literally at one point considered their own countries. You know, they were sovereign. Like the Quakers came, Pennsylvania, like everybody was saying, okay, here is what we believe. Here is what's true for us. And we're establishing our America. America was created for everybody. There was no, this is our America. It was created for everybody, for all people from all different backgrounds to come. This is what you made your country to be. And to totally deny the, the, the views and the opinions and the 
the, the, the prince and the culture of other people on a country that was totally founded by the others. You know what I mean? The least of these, like the, the, the original pilgrims weren't the rich um, aristocrats coming in. They were protesters. They were the, they were the protesters, you know? And so it, it just blows my mind that how limited to American history people have. And going back to your point about the church, it's like what makes me so mad about what's going on is this potentially can be one of the greatest sins of the American church. The number one greatest sins. And as much as they talk about the, the, the homosexuality issue, as much as they talk about the sexual morality, as much as they talk about the abortion and the human sex trafficking, like for you to totally be oblivious to racism and the effects of race, which is a social construct, you know, because that, thousand years ago you weren't white or black you were either spanish or french or british or scottish or nigerian like you were your ethnicity for you to totally demonize a group of people based upon their race like and to be totally oblivious to it the church and see people suffering i'm like people are suffering how are we the church unaware of people suffering and it goes back to this is honest and ugly truth about the church, which most people don't know, is the church was just as racist as America. You know, unfortunately, like people don't know, like all these big universities, whether it's Southeastern Theological Seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary, Dallas Baptist Theological Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary, all these big institutions had the same Jim Crow laws not allowing black people in. It wasn't just the white schools and the University of Alabama with uh what's uh, with Governor uh, what's that governor from Alabama the um crap I forgot his name something Wallace wah, wah, wah. Governor Wallace Governor Wallace George Wallace say his name was George Wallace <laughs> Governor Wallace of Alabama protesting it was a, it, the leaders of the church they were they were not letting effort. so we have a history of of sin mm-hmm. and what I love about the Catholic Church is that even though the Catholic Church had a disgusting history with the child sexual abuse scandal that was uncovered and just proved to be disastrous, mm-hmm. they were at least open about it, and they at least repented publicly as a whole church. Every single, every single church, mm-hmm. every parish in the Catholic Church repented of it and put in every single system they could to prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. But the evangelical church still has not, as a whole, repented from the sins of racism and have still not put in systems in place to prevent racism from being perpetuated, which is why we continue to see happen today. This is what gets me with, I mean, the the current, and I don't want to just sit and like bitch about the church yeah. here, but I mean, there's there's nothing healthy. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a little bit of something yeah. healthy about it yeah. um, to call out what is, what is broken. But like, that's the thing I see right now is this movement of all these evangelical leaders that are speaking out against this or against that. Uh, have you seen this? I mean, like, it's a lot of the desiring God folks. It's a lot of yeah. that kind of world. They'll, they'll, you know, this is, they will make a, a statement. Yeah. The Nashville statement. Did you see this? There was like a, a statement on yeah, homosexuality or a statement on oh, okay. these, see, these yeah. kind of hot button issues. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not seeing that statement about, mm. yeah. about yeah. police brutality, about, about racism, about any of those things. It, it's, it's insane to me, <sighs> but that is, that is the beauty of the, of the Catholic church is, is, 
and I'm not Catholic, but I, but I'm kind of fascinated with Catholicism. So you've got this hierarchy of 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 leadership, mm-hmm. and there's someone that's making a call and saying like, "Hey, we as a church, we are going to speak against mm-hmm. that. Gosh. And if you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to speak against this or that or whatever it is. We have an we have a stance, and everybody kind of falls in line on it. Mm. I think that's actually a really helpful thing. Because what I think is that, I mean, I told you at the start, there's these three different categories of people. Mm -hmm. And so I I would encourage you, don't assume that all of those white pastors are oblivious. Some of them are paralyzed. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to how to lend their voice. Well, yeah. they say boys in the hood either don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. That's actually great. That's okay. That's <laughs> so, so I, I like that point. Let's 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 stop complaining. Um, I feel like we did a good. I did feel like we did a good job of bringing to light the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's start talking about solutions. Yeah. And let's start talking about ways to move forward in America. And it's funny because you actually brought the solution, but we needed about 40 more minutes of content. So I just kind of, kind of went, went over it. <laughs> My bad. Uh, but um, the solution um, that, um, that also you, you brought up, Luke, was instead of worrying about changing those who don't care, how about we empower those who do care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of worrying about how do we get the stubborn donkey to drink the water, you have a bunch of people just saying, I want to drink the water, but I'm just, I don't know how. Where's the water? Where's yeah, the water? Maybe where's the water? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Great question. So, um, so let's let's talk about that, man. Let's talk about some of the solutions, you know. I'll, I'll start off. I think the first one, it sounds redundant, but it's so true. Conversations. Yeah. It's crazy. But if people, it's like, you're married. Mm-hmm. And you know that so many of your problems, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not married, but could you say so many of your problems happen because of miscommunication? All of them. All of them. And would you say that a lot of times when you're able to rid yourself of emotion and have an honest conversation with your wife, you're able to come to solutions? Yeah. Because mm. you realize that you're wrong mm. every yeah. time. I mean, you always, <laughs> yeah. both of you, you yeah. always realize like where you're wrong in this. You yeah. know, It's that you haven't been listening. You've been trying to protect your own opinion. Exactly. And I'm going to write that down. Yeah, write that down. We got to protect Everyone's trying to protect their opinion and no one's trying to hear the other person and have the conversation. And it's it's because it's the same it's the same reason that protests happen. I mean, I said that protests happen when, when a group of people feels like their voice isn't being heard. Yeah. And so people we always feel like that. If the other people are getting louder, then we think that our voice isn't being heard. And so yeah. we're we're too wrapped up in hearing our own voice. We gotta mm. hear each other, you know. Yeah. I mean that's conversation. Yeah. I got a conversation, man. What about you guys? What what other solutions? I think that part of it is is that you got to start. If we want America to change, if we want the world to change, you can't think, you can't think about how do I change America. You think like, okay, well, how do I change my neighborhood? How do I change? Mm -hmm. How do I change? How do how do how do the three of us change the city of Houston? How do we make Houston? Because that's a big city, but it's that's an attainable thing. How do we model this conversation outside of just this one right now? How do we, on a regular, consistent basis, model for people how to listen and how to and how to speak humbly and 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 assume the best of each other's intentions and you know how do we model that for people and i think that actually has to happen it has to happen in faith communities but it also has to happen outside of faith communities because yeah. you don't want you don't want to give people a reason not to listen to you ever and sometimes your faith is the reason not to listen mm. um we need we need people who are not christians to also get along and also like mm. understand each other's perspective and you know what i mean mm-hmm <laughs> oh man y'all woo, that's good stuff i'm always pointing back to the gospel um, yeah 
I know for me, uh, just just as believers and non-believers, we always we always need a savior, and um, just because our hearts are just just ripped away from God, and that's why Jesus came to bridge the gap, um, and all we have to do is just repent and believe in the gospel, and and that's just and that's a call to action, and it's 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 crazy because um, the the guy that's basically my new discipler um, or my mentor. He told me really Colossians three, and uh, that's where you put on the new stuff, the mm-hmm. new stuff, and um, and list all the things that you have to give up, and and all the things that you ought to embrace to be more like Jesus. And I think like both of y'all have said, just conversation and uh, and picking a market to really penetrate and and represent not only um, ourselves but the gospel and, and others, and. It's a big responsibility, um, really, because it's kind of like you cannot, I want to say you can't make a mistake, but you cannot, like you said, give people a reason not to listen to you. And I think what we're doing here, um, not only with this conversation, but with the podcast that that we all have, um, we are very open to being wrong. Like, I know I've been wrong. I I've contradict, been wrong. contradict myself so many times. Most, every times. time I hear you say ladies, ladies, ladies. Yeah. I know you're about to say something <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Something wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just like, I know for a fact um, that that I'm not perfect and we all can admit that. And I have been enlightened. I think I told Alfie that I probably grew um, more outside of college than my four years in college. And, uh, and, and just by simple conversation, even reading, like, I read. I never read this many books uh, in my life. Um, so and I never been challenged before like this in my life, as well. Because a lot of things I just never been. I always been comfortable, even in my own circle as being a black man. It was always really comfortable for me. And me being uncomfortable now is like I don't know how to react. I'm, I'm making mis- more mistakes. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm exposed so much more now, and I'm trying to figure out how can, you know, I can get back always rear back relying on God because when I'm comfortable, I'm not. And uh, I think, like I said, these conversations and us penetrating the markets are definitely helping. And mm-hmm. I have nothing to add to, those, <laughs> to y'all's solutions. Yeah. And uh, I mean, That's it was a great good. conversation. That's good. And and to answer a question that you asked at the very beginning about feeling paralyzed, mm-hmm. um, I really, I truly believe that when a lot of white Americans ask about the solution, mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Malcolm X, the movie with Denzel? Uh, parts of it. I've never watched it. So all of there's it. a scene where this, this, this sweet-hearted white woman comes to Malcolm X, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a, such a fan of what you're doing. I want to know what can I do to help. <laughs> Malcolm X looks her right in the face, and he says, nothing. You can do nothing. Mm. And he just walks. He's all walking. Yes. <laughs> but... I don't aspire to that. But, <laughs> I, don't but, to. I was like, that's your message right now? <laughs> yeah, that would be horrible. Right that would be horrible. But no, what I will say is that you're helping by allowing the gospel and these stories to change your heart. That's literally your helping. Yeah. Because yeah. you're no like it's kind of like the matrix. You're now unplugged. You are now no longer part of the problem. Now you don't view African Americans as lesser than. Mm-hmm. You don't view um, minorities as um, just a bunch of whiny snowflakes. Like you understand. So you are now you've you're human like us. Yeah. You like you can feel our struggles, and now you can raise children. 
you know, now you can have a, uh, a legacy of creating a family who is now open and receptive and loving of all people. You, mm. by that alone, is such astronomic change, which is a grace of God, because Chris always goes back to the gospel changes people mm. and people change the world. Mm. Like that change in your heart is gonna just, you, we don't know the ripple effects no, we don't. of what that yeah. could be. Of you, let's say, let's, you have a kid and your kid becomes a, a huge leader in society, you know, whether that's a voice or a teacher. And now he's taking the message of love and equality for all that you've implemented because of the experiences that you had as a young adult and not able to change the world. So I think that's the very first thing um, because I really feel like what African-Americans are not asking for, they're not asking for a handout, mm -hmm. you know? We're not asking to give us money, which some people would like reparations. <laughs> but what a lot of African-Americans are just asking about for is equality. It's just simply treat us the way you want to be treated, going back to the golden rule. Mm -hmm. That's what we want from our country. And we want that message to be perpetuated to all people. And that's what you're doing. You're using your voice. You're using, you're coming on our show. You're, you're, you're sharing the message of, hey, love other people, hear other stories, get outside your comfort zone. Yeah. That's all we're asking for. Yeah. And if we can have a society filled with people, black and white, male and female, um, who understand the struggles of other people who understand the stories of each other and are willing to not only to i'm sorry willing to at times disagree at times to feel a bit uncomfortable but to still love respect and value all people that's the solution yeah i agree i because it was remember that um that comedian that was on netflix uh, but i had never knew what they had went through, yeah. you know, especially since 9-11. Yeah. I was just like, holy crap, we can't relate to that. Yeah. And, and I think just being, um, he was using his platform and exposing people um, just about how, you know, his, like, issues being a, I don't know if he's a Muslim or I don't know. He's don't know. Indian, he's, but part of his religion is Muslim, but he's Indian. Yes. And uh, how is that, how is his life being in America? I was just like, holy crap. You know, I would have never knew if I would have just, if I wouldn't have hit play. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, just being intentional and having those conversations. Um, and, yeah, to encourage you, you are you are making a difference. Because, yeah. um, uh, I mean, I, I get it in life where it's just like um, you haven't seen, like, direct results. So it's like, well, what the crap am I doing, right, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I get, that, I get that all the time at work. <laughs> Trust me, I get it all the time. And, you know, um, so, yeah, just... Just continue to use uh, your platform, continue to have these conversations and, and be that light in the darkness. Um, and I mean, God's going to use that. Yeah. We appreciate you a lot, man. Yeah, man. Yes, thanks sir. for thanks Yeah, for it was great. Me. It was definitely, we got we to have you back, man. I, I feel like it. we haven't even touched um, Mr. President. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, <laughs> but I, I hate those guys. I feel like everyone's talking about him. So oh, yeah, I'm yeah, glad yeah. We, we didn't even bring up his name once. But, man, look, we appreciate you, man. Of course. Um, let people know where they can find you and uh, about your podcast, where they can find a podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, so the the H is probably the best one for folks in Houston to be interested in. It's the H.us or just look on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcast, Wherever you listen to this podcast, you'll find my show, too. It's just called The H. Uh, you can find me on social media at Luke Brauner. Uh, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. I Luke Bronner. Appreciate you, man. Man, this is yeah. good. This is good. You, you feel yes. good, Chris? I feel amazing. Hey, let's go. And wrap it up then. So, as I said at the be beginning of the show, it's your boy Hafiz. Chris, the star show. 
and this is Luke. <laughs> and we are the roommates, and you are listening to us on probably SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure you, hey guys, here is your job. Jesus. Here, here if, is if your job. If you make job. it this far. If more. you made it this far, your job is to perpetuate and continue this conversation. Share it. Share it with your white friends, your black friends, your Hispanic friends. We want to continue to have these conversations and to share them. So your response is to share it. Please. <laughs> Do something right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm actually going to say something on your behalf, too. Oh, go ahead. You know, you, you guys, I don't know if you say it every week, but every podcaster has to tell people every week to go rate and review the show on iTunes. Okay, go ahead. So I'm going to tell your audience, go rate and review the show on iTunes. Hey. You have no idea how helpful this is for podcasters. I'm saying this as a podcaster myself. Yeah. Yeah. The, if you want, if you support these guys, if you want to support these guys, go rate and review their show on Apple Podcasts. I promise you it helps. Wow. And that was that guy, Luke. Yes. <laughs> So we're the roommates, and we're out. Woo!